Coming up on today's show. I think everything I've learned as a leader has come from being a musician. Welcome to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you're welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. Have we talked yet, though? Have you called me on the phone to have a chat about this podcast? I will explain what I'm referring to during this episode so that you can contact me that way. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Southern California, my guest is not only a musician, but he is the new president and CEO of the National Association of Music Merchants, or NAM, as it's affectionately known. Previously, he served as vice president of music education and technology at Hal Leonard, and he is the immediate past president of the Technology Institute of Music Educators. He has taught online graduate courses at Vandercook College, and served as Director of Education for Personas Audio. As a performer, he currently plays first trumpet in the Metwins in Boston and has enjoyed a long career of performing in symphony orchestras, pit orchestras, and top 40 bands. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, John Malinzak. Thank you, Bruce. It's great to be here, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, John, thanks so much for taking time out of what I'm sure is a really busy schedule to talk to me. And <laughs> congratulations on being named NAM president and CEO at the start of this month, May 1st. Thank you so much. It is a just a, an incredible uh, ride. I still It still hasn't fully hit me yet, being in this office, being with this team. I, I've loved NAM for so long, and I feel like I'm still talking about something I love. And every day I realize I'm actually like really directly involved, and it's... <laughs> It's a dream come true, my friend. I'm sure. I'm sure. Before we start getting all businessy, I mentioned in the intro that you play trumpet. Was that always your only instrument, or were there others maybe when you were a kid and those fell away and it just became trumpet? How did all that go? Oh, yes. I made many mistakes before I found the <laughs> glorious of all instruments. Yes, of course. Spoken like a real trumpet player, right? Uh, you know, growing up, there, I, I do not have a childhood memory that doesn't have an instrument in it. You mm. know, like from, from you know, I grew up, my parents are Southern, so from Mimal's piano in the in the parlor, we go and play from dad playing guitar to drum set. You know, there's always instruments. And I knew when you get to like sixth grade and you have to choose an elective, there's no question I was going to do band. And I've been playing guitar, you know, since I could hold one. Mm. But then I had to pick an instrument and I thought I was going to play drums. And then I thought the slide on the trombone was really cool. Mm. And I remember selecting trombone. And then two years later, I wised up and switched to trumpet. So <laughs> I figured it out quickly. <laughs> well, without slighting the symphony orchestras and pit orchestras, I personally am interested to hear about your having performed in top 40 bands. Well, you know, I, a lot of my performance experiences is when I was living in Louisiana and I, I lived there for 10 years. I went to LSU for grad school and uh, started getting the gigging scene. So, you know, there are a lot of weddings. So played in a really like 
the top wedding band of Louisiana ranked for three years. We were playing in New Orleans. And just there was three or four, you know, every Stevie Wonder, Tower of Power hit you could. And and that band actually was fun because you know, the tunes that didn't have trumpet, I played a keyboard because I minored in piano in college. So ah. I could play the synth parts to stuff. So it might have been the synth part to rock with you or the the horn part to, you know, Stevie Wonder tune, you know. Um, and then uh, I'm a, you know, grew up listening to country music. So every once in a while, we'd get a request to play a country song and I'd have an acoustic guitar laid back there because I knew how to play them all. So I was like, sure, we could do that. You know, and shame on me because New Orleans is obviously so, so rich in music and we all default to Nashville, New York, and L.A. when we talk about the major music markets. Occasionally, you might hear Austin thrown in there or sometimes even Las Vegas because it's the entertainment capital of the world. And gosh, New Orleans, I'm sure, and I know you said around Louisiana, but I'm sure there was no shortage of work. No shortage of work. And that's where there's always touring shows. There's always uh, pit orchestras. The, the the orchestras are always bring in really big artists. And, uh, you know, I... Um, I may or may not have interrupted a, a Randy Newman performance <laughs> once. That was a really uh, embarrassing moment in my life. But uh, you get you get really fun opportunities to play, yeah. <laughs> Other people have stories of writing with Randy or performing with him, and yours is a slightly different story. <laughs> well, it's a real quick one. It's funny. It was uh, I was hired to play, you know, to, to the trumpet. There were like four trumpet parts, so I get hired in the orchestra to come in and like sit in and play a couple tunes. But then I was done. Because it was just those those tunes that you know they needed a, a fourth trumpet, uh, and I had asked the principal. I said, "Hey, do I have to stay the whole time? I got traffic, and I drive back." He's like, "No, once you're done, you can go off stage." I said, "Great." So I finished my last tune. Lights go dark, and the next tune for Randy was just like spotlight on him on the piano in front of the orchestra, and. I made the mistake of, you know, they have those big orchestra shells and the doors are like blended in and you don't know where they oh, are. Yeah. I didn't know where my exit was. So I'm in the dark. I have three mutes and two trumpets in my hand trying to get off stage, bumping into the shells, trying to figure out which one is the door. Oh, my gosh. The lights come up. I can't find the door. And all of a sudden I look over and the conductor and Randy are staring at me like livid because <laughs> he's trying to start the next tune and I'm bouncing around thousand people in the audience. <laughs> That's when you hope that they can't remember or certainly can't pronounce your name and they try to single you out and you get away with it because they can't say your name or they don't know it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let's start heading down the path from all that. Share with us how your love of the trumpet helped ignite your passion for teaching others even further because, folks, you'll notice that in the intro, I mentioned that John served as vice president of music education and technology at Hal Leonard. He was the immediate past president of the Technology Institute of Music Educators. He taught online graduate courses. So, John, please, if you would. Yeah, no, it's it's a really, really great question. And I don't know why I've always been so gravitated towards education, but I think for me, it's just like, I think it's the same thing about music making. You make music because you are creating sounds that bring people emotion. You know, let's just start there. And the way I really think about music making is we and i know the tons of music makers listening to this podcast we if you step back for a second we take found objects metal string wood whatever it is and we actually create sounds that make human emotion like we make people feel and that is just fascinating to me 
And if you think about as being an educator, I think all musicians want to go teach. You know, we, we, we learn a new lick. We want to go play it for someone and see him smile. We learn something new about how to make sound. We want to go find a student and tell them how to do it. Mm. And I think that, you know, trumpet is an interesting instrument because, again, here's the trumpet player coming out in me. It's really hard to make a nice sound on trumpet. You know, there's some instruments. Every instrument is, is, is technically difficult. And I'm, this is not me saying that anything's easier, though. Come on, saxophone players. You just slap a reed on it. It works. Like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to go there. I'm better than that, Bruce. But, you know, with trumpet, like you have to work really hard to even make the thing sound good. And I think that does something to like trumpet players and why they come across. We just we have to work so hard to make such a beautiful sound that it's kind of ingrained in us that we just once we get there, we want to work hard. We're going to teach others how to do it. We want to share. And I think it just comes becomes part of who you are. Well, and I admire your interest in helping others because they're the people, A, who would cringe when they hear someone else doing it wrong, and instead of wanting to help them, they would just cringe and say they're doing it wrong and keep it to themselves. But B, there's also certainly a percentage of artists that perfect something and say, I just want to show people my craft in a performance way and not in a I want others to be able to do what I do way. So I'm still going to take my hat off to you, John, because as much as you say, as musicians, we want to help others there's certainly the ego that you have to battle to overcome that so that you do say, hey, I'm not going to just keep this gift all to myself. I want others to be able to experience it firsthand. No, that that's good insight. And I, I'm I'm definitely the latter. You know, it's it's funny. I if there's other part of me that I'm a super like super avid sailor. I just got into like boating a few years ago and of course I got all my credentials and license and I've started teaching and I'm educator certified and licensed Coast Guard captain. I just dived in. First thing I did when I got into something else is I wanted to start teaching it. It's just part of who I am. All right. Now, don't let me pull out my Bill Murray, what about Bob movie line on you and see if you really are a sailor, because there's a scene in that movie where he's tied to the front of the boat and he's yelling out, I'm sailing. I'm a sailor. I sail. <laughs> and then later he quotes, he's like, yeah, you know, I sailed. It's <laughs> great. I love that movie. <laughs> well, the story goes that it was only 10 years ago that you even attended your first NAM show, and now here we are in 2023. And at a young age, mind you, you've taken the reins of the largest global music trade organization in the world. And while I know you can say, well, Bruce, I guess you'd have to ask the folks who chose me, what do you think, John, got you into the NAM president and CEO seat? Because I think the armchair quarterback might say, oh, did he work for a retailer or has he worked for one of the big companies that make musical instruments? Take us through that 10-year ascent from NAM show attendee in 2013 to new NAM president and CEO. This is the question that everyone wants to hear the answer to, right? <laughs> so I'm glad you asked it like that. So starting, you know, 10 years ago, we'll paint a picture the day before I joined the industry. I had been six years full-time teaching music. I'm gigging all over Louisiana. That was the dream from from childhood to play music, to go to music school, to go to grad school, to start gigging. And you you, know, you think you at that time I'd made it. You know, I was teaching music. You, you found out very quickly that nobody needs trumpet at 9.30 a.m. on a Tuesday. Mm. So kind of like, okay, I can teach in the day and I can gig all weekend long and all evening and life is good, right? And you get to a point, and I, at that point I'd been talking to PreSonus Audio about 
you know, this this really rise in education technology and how producing music, creating music, recording music is part of music education. It is what we should be teaching. I had started a music technology class at my school, the first music technology course in Louisiana, because our school registrar had to get it approved at the state level. And I had to like write the technology curriculum for the state to even allow them to recognize the course. Wow. So this was a point where I'm like, you know, creating music with computers and all of that, this is a big thing. And so that was what propelled me to start talking to PreSonus Audio based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And we just, as we all got to know each other, like everything else, they said, you know, we PreSonus said we need an education division. And I said, yeah, I could do that. And it was an amazing leap of faith because you have this really established, amazing audio company that knows the industry. And you have me that knows nothing but education. Mm. And literally there were conversations in pre-interview and after I got that job where I'm talking about teaching and curriculum and they literally asked me, what's a rubric? I said, no, it's a rubric. It's just <laughs> learning. And then I'm saying, what's, is it margin? Margin? What is that word? <laughs> we didn't speak the same language, but that was it. And I got that job at PreSonus on January 1st, 2013, mm. right? And then the first thing they said is, go to NAM. And I said, okay, what's a NAM? They said, book a flight to LA. I said, great. <laughs> and I walked in NAM. I forget the day that the January show in 2013, but I immediately walked in and blown away. Like everyone's first NAM. Like yeah. there is a world and an industry behind every gig I've played, behind every um, thing I've taught, every instrument I've taught, every student I've taught, every curriculum I've used, every software I've used, every mm. hardware preamp. There is a world that's designing this and using it and, and influencing others and, and innovating. And like I saw it. It's like you see the world behind the gear and you realize like there's a whole world that I just didn't know existed. Mm. And I said, that's that's what I'm doing here at PreSonus. And so then that just skyrocketed. The next 10 years were just just rocket boosters behind me. I mean, PreSonus, we worked with Hal Leonard. We did curriculum. We did distribution. That's how I ended up with a job at Hal Leonard. And then Hal Leonard had bought a music tech company called NoteFlight, and it was a, in a, the, the first online music notation community. And so I was hired to go there, and then I learned marketing software, distribution. So through this rise in the industry for 10 years, I've had – I actually lost count of how many roles I've had. At one point, the PR person at Hal Leonard said, I broke the record for the most press releases she's ever had to write <laughs> about someone <laughs> – but it kept evolving because I was just fascinated about, again, learning, right? So, okay, I can learn how to run a software team. Well, I can learn how to do digital marketing. We can learn how to do ads and audiences. We can learn how to mm. lead, you know, curriculum projects. And it just kept – but I've, I've seen every piece of the industry. So for the armchair quarterbacks you mentioned, I have worked at some of the biggest companies in the industry. I've worked in distribution. I've worked in curriculum. I've worked in software. I've worked in marketing. I've worked in sales. I actually had a job at a music retailer in high school because ah. out at a music store long enough, they they just hire you. Um, <laughs> it's funny how that works, right? So I worked at Mars Music in Richmond, Virginia. And so I have pieces of every piece of the industry. And I'm not saying I'm an expert at any one, but I will say that I understand the ecosystem. And I think that helps me at NAM. So that's a big piece of, I think, why I'm here. The other one which I know we're getting into leadership and music and all of that. I think what 
well, I mean, I, I know now what the, the hiring committee and what NAM and the industry were looking for is I'm in this for the next 25 years. Mm. I'm the fourth CEO in 76 years. Whoa. Right. This is this is something that. So at my age, being a learner, knowing that today there is a lot I have to learn. And in five years, there'll be a lot I have to learn and in 10 years. On one hand, I know I have a lot to learn. On the other hand, we're an evolving industry and we need to be learning every day because that's our job. Mm. They wanted that. So I'm in it for the long haul. I'm here to to keep better in myself, better in the industry, better in the organization. And I think that combination is uh, why I'm at the helm. And thank you for using helm. Sailing terms are very much appreciated. <laughs> well, and I love that description. It kind of makes me think of the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, they've had something like three or four head coaches in the last obscene amount, like 40 years or something like that. You know, they have Mike Tomlin now. They had Chuck Knoll. They had uh, Bill Cower and... I love that you're saying you're getting into this for the long haul and, and putting it in that perspective because it's kind of like being the coach of the Steelers. No pressure, right? But at the same time, I want to go back to, because you, you, you mentioned that dream of being a musician. So did you ever get to a point where you actually stopped and recognized that playing music is not going to be my full-time career after all? Or was it just kind of so organic that you sort of passed it by and then out of the corner of your eye said, well, you know, I'm still going to do it here and there because I think for a lot of people that would be a hallmark moment to sit down and say, well, if I'm going to do this, I guess there goes my dream. And to them, it's just borderline heartbreaking. Whereas to you, you are still playing and yet you did say, okay, that was great doing what I did, but that's not the way I'm going to go anymore. Yeah, you you just totally identified like there's key points in my life where like the dream was on one hand you could say i mean I'm, i still play music for fun and i'm happy to pick up a trumpet or guitar anytime uh but yeah i'm not a professional gigging musician and that was the dream for one point so on one hand you can say the dream might have been crushed or it could have slowly faded away however you want to describe it i think the the only point though that i really had to say am i giving something up is you know i was Masters in trumpet performance, gigging. I was going to be a trumpet professor, get a trumpet job. That's uh, what I was going to do. Like, not, no questions asked. And then at one point when I had the opportunity, that I was teaching part-time at a school, and they said, look, we, we want you to come on full-time. We want you to add programming. We want you to do something cool. And I had to choose, like, oh, wow. Was, I thought at that moment, it's the only time in my life, I said, if I go into teaching, that, that old adage of, like, those who can't do teach, which I will – I will absolutely not agree with that. I will defend the, the the wrongness of that phrase to the death. But I thought at that moment I was. And then the funny thing is I started teaching and then I started gigging all. I was gigging more you know, than I was teaching. And so it didn't die. It just gave me the opportunity to focus on the gigs and mm. focus on the students. But from there, as I got in the industry, that's when it sort of started fading out. I was playing a lot. And then when I moved from Louisiana to Boston – it was the change of scene when you're like, okay, now I have to break into a very competitive Boston music scene. You got phenomenal trumpet players. You get the Boston Pops. You got Terry Everson out here. You got all these people that are monster trumpet players. You know, so like that was the moment when I took that job that I think it fell off because I'm like, do I put my energy and break it into a new scene or do I put my energy into the new job? 
And I did the new job. So you pick up the church gigs, you pick up the community ensembles, you find a little network, mm. but it slowed down a lot. And here I am moving to Southern California for NAM deciding, okay, you know, maybe I'll pick this up a little more. I mean, so, you know, it's, it's part of what I'm considering now. So going back to what you were saying about the future, technically this episode is actually coming out on May 31st, but we might as well say that it's June and time flies. So six-ish months is nothing. So let's look even beyond that next NAM show just over six months from now. What are your plans for that event's future beyond 2024? Yeah, you know, I, I would include 24 in that. And I know it's really early because to your point, like, you know, where are we going? Where's the NAM show going? You know, the the cool thing about being the new CEO and looking 20 years out is, again, I can't help but look at everything 20 years out. That's been the past 18 days in this office mm. of like, great, that's so cool. I love that you're doing that. Where's that going to be in five years? Where's that going to be in 20 years? And that's the benefit of doing the, a leadership change every 20 years because you get the whole organization. The first day I came in here, I said, be new with me. I'm not the only one new. Like this whole organization is now looking 20 years out. And as we do that, we've realized the NAM show today, even in April, the show we just had a month ago, is the world's largest global gathering of the music industry. And you look at every other show, every other gathering in the world, because we are a global association. We are the world's largest global gathering of the music industry. And we take that responsibility very seriously. The The industry needs to come together. And so where we are, where we go in 24 and beyond is we look at it and say, what does the global community need from coming together? You get all, you get manufacturers, retailers, artists, influencers, creators, educators, college students, producers, house lighting and sound, technical. You get all of these people in the ecosystem together. What value do they need? And we provide that. And we provide that year after year after year. There's absolutely a trade component in NAM. There's no better place in the world except January in Anaheim to launch a new product in the industry. But that's not the only reason NAM exists. Contrary to what others like to say in the press, if you come to NAM, you will see that it is a global gathering of all areas. There's music in the square. There's networking events. There's just so much that goes on. So that's how we think of it. You know, we think of the next several years as us refining what does the global community need? And we already have we we have some good ideas of what we're going to add in January and what we're going to refine in 25 and 26. But it's all focused around who is there, how they're gathered, what benefit they get from each other, what can we ignite by getting all of these people in the same room? And how do we, you know, how do we grow that energy of the music industry. Yeah, I'm going to focus on the word together that you used a couple times in there because in this digital world that we live in and in light of the pandemic showing everyone how much can be done virtually, what do you feel the benefits are? What do you believe the importance is of music companies, brick and mortar, songwriters, artists, creators, meeting face-to-face -face at a trade show? I think that it is essential for the cycle of our industry that we come together in this way. And again, I'm I'm someone that spent a lot of time in my life working on online curriculum. I was teaching hybrid online learning before 
February of 2020. Like I was doing it before it was cool. And so coming from someone who spent a lot of time trying to create online, you know, events, I, I will tell you, I firmly believe that the importance of getting together is because that you don't bump into someone on a Zoom that's set up <laughs> and you have to do. You don't run into the halls. You don't see someone. You don't get introduced to someone who knows someone that gives you an opportunity that you didn't exist before when you're on a Zoom being presented at. You're not all talking at the same time. What happens at NAM, and you ask anyone who goes, is that you go with an agenda and you know the value you're getting and you leave with opportunities that never existed four days prior. Mm. And that's the, you can only do that by getting everyone together. Well, and I think there's something to be said as someone who's been attending the NAM show every year since January 2017. The hugs, the handshakes, the pats on the back, those are not going to happen over Zoom. And you're exactly right when it comes to seeing someone and then solving a problem and saying, let me walk you over here and introduce you to person X or company Z. And again, that's difficult to accomplish virtually. So I love your vision for making sure that there's an emphasis on all that can be done by being face-to-face -face with one another. Absolutely. And the other thing we're really thinking about now is that NAM's purpose is not four days. It's 365 days. Mm. And those four days together, those handshakes, those introductions, I mean, I've left every NAM with a pile of business cards, pages of notes, and it's taken me as being multiple member companies months to follow up about from all the connections and opportunities that come out of the NAM show. And so the relationships that happen in Anaheim are essentially springboarding an entire year of who you're going to follow up with, how you're going to build, how you're going to cultivate those relationships. And I think that cycle, and then by the time next January comes around, it's time to come together, light that fire, build those new relationships, and then you spend the other 361 days cultivating and doing that. And of course, NAM's focused on how we can keep the energy going. We have lots of cool ideas about other member services that keep us active all year round. But that's how we think of it. Yeah, and thank you for opening my eyes to something there because I remember going to PodFest Multimedia Expo in Orlando and getting an email probably a month later from someone who said, just digging out from PodFest. And I thought, well, that was a month ago, but you're right. We do come back with a pile of business card and with pages and pages and notes. So shame on me for not giving that person the benefit of the fact that there's other things going on in our business and personal lives, and it does take a while, but you do make so many connections, you do meet so many people, and there is so much education that it's sifting through it all, and then kind of just that that point where you exhale and, okay, let me start acting on some of these things now, and gosh, here I'm talking about PodFest that maybe had 1,500 people, and NAM routinely gets 100,000. So there's lots and lots to follow up on when you go to an event like that. But yes, it is a very important point that you make that it's four out of 365 days. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a saying, in sometimes we think of it as sort of like a the slingshot around the moon, right? Like you use the <laughs> gravitational pull, you get that gravitational power, you swing around. That's the NAM. You get all that energy and it propels you. And then, you know, and then you come back around and it comes back. And so that's the annual cycle. And that four days in Anaheim is that like super fast paced 10G. Are they going to come out the other side flying? Bam. 
And then that slingshots the whole annual cycle of the industry. Mm-hmm. And again, NAM rep, those four days represent a key point of the cycle. I mean, companies focus their strategic plans, their product launches, their marketing campaigns, their media, their employee professional development. It all it goes January to January. That's why NAM is in January. We realize that that's when our members, they want to think calendar year. That's the right time, the right place, the right energy. So it's strategic. Folks, as a housekeeping note, before I give out a bunch of online destinations for John and Nam, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my interview with singer, songwriter, guitar player Allie Handel two weeks ago. Not only did she perform at the Nam show last month, which we talked about during that interview, but she discussed a book that she did that was published by Hal Leonard, the very company you heard me say in the intro that John worked for. I'm going to put a link on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net to the interview with Allie Handel. I'm also going to put a link there to my interview a year or so ago with Joe Lamond, who had been the NAM CEO. Anyhow, I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Southern California by NAM President and CEO John Malinzak. Visit the organization's official website at nam.org. I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net the National Association of Music Merchants, the largest global not-for-profit music trade organization representing the $17 billion music industry. And the NAM show that you heard us talking about is the world's largest gathering of the music products industry. It is held annually in Anaheim, California, with the next one set for January 25 through the 28th. On the NAM website, look for the various social media icons to engage with the organization through Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Both John as well as NAM can be found on LinkedIn. At the very start of this episode, I asked if I have talked to you by phone. I am meeting new people by phone through the OWL app. It's two W's and two L's, even though it's just like the bird. In fact, this morning, someone that I met on there was helping me out with something I needed assistance with, which saved me a lot of time and potential anxiety. This is not a sponsor, by the way. They're not paying me to talk about them, and the app itself is even free. So why not take advantage of this resource to make connections that will be beneficial to you, too? Obviously, you can call me on there, but with so many experts from a variety of categories on OWL, you can connect with quite an array of professionals. Next week, I'm having lunch with someone who is a guest on this show, and I intend to encourage him to get on there also. On my podcast website, nhte.net, tap or click anywhere you see that it says home, and then look for and dive into the article titled, Help Now a Phone um, App Call Away. Included in there are not only links so you can get the app from the App Store or Google Play, but an invitation code, which is a required field when you set up OWL on your phone. And then be sure to call me once you're up and running on there. John, with so many bedroom producers making music now, I wonder, how do you plan to reach and excite the younger generation of music and introduce them to the innovations that your industry members create? I love this audience. I mean, back... Back when I worked at PreSonus, and for all the listeners here, you know that gear, the $99 audio box. You have an audio box and a dream. You are a producer. <laughs> I, 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 again, I made lots of educational content for that. It's uh, the, the most amazing thing that NAM has done is these folks can now be NAM members. NAM actually has an individual membership that started at the June show 
and we extended the April show and beyond. Since 2021, we have a membership category that allows the bedroom producer, the person doing audio at their church on Sunday, music educators, mm. private lesson instructors, all these folks that are really working in the industry but not directly employed for a member company are now absolutely encouraged to be members of NAM and show up at the show. Wow. So the most important thing is we want them at we want these folks at the show. We want you there. We want you there not because you have a buddy who has a buddy who bribes someone with drinks at a member company to give you one of their badges. <laughs> we want you there because you have value to the music industry. And we and the decision was not only we want you to attend the show, but you are actually an individual member. So it shows a commitment that like we want you to be part of NAM's collective impact because NAM does a lot of work beyond the show. And we can talk about that later in government relations, international trade. There's a lot of work we do on the association side that's not seen on the show floor. But all of that's collective impact for music makers. So we are absolutely doubling down on the opportunity to get everyone working in this industry involved through our foundation, we have great pro. We have scholarships for um, college students who are working to, for careers industry to attend the NAM show. We have an entire nonprofit institute supporting all the nonprofits with education that are working around the industry. Um, we we allow students to attend for half price. We do student attendance, so we're really we're really invested in the future. I mean, our companies want to show up and exhibit their products not only to launch new innovations but also to make sure that the next generation of music makers sees the iconic brands of the industry. And we're serving both. Well, and folks, one need look no further than episode 218 of this show, my interview with Justin Emmerd. Justin is the bass player from Love and a 38, and you will see his yeah. name all over Nam. All the stuff that he does with Nam is a great example of if you're a musician and you're scratching your head and saying, well, I'm still not really sure, and this is the wrong attitude to go into it, but just humor me. If you're saying, I'm not sure what I'm going to get out of this, you don't join it to say, what can they do for me? Because it's a great opportunity for a two-way relationship. But Justin has done so much. In fact, I was at the Summer NAM show in 2021 in Nashville, and I put out an episode that Justin was partly a guest on. It was called State of the Music Recording Industry, episode 390. And Justin was even at the end of that because he's so visible. And so these are opportunities for you with NAM. And shame on me, John, I wasn't aware that NAM had opened it up to these type of individual memberships. So I'm applauding NAM for having done that because I think that's a, a wonderful step. And I encourage the independent artists out there who are listening to, by all means, absolutely look into that. Yeah, for sure. And again, this is something, you know, let NAM, large association, large reach, large impact. We do things strategically and we do things carefully. So we opened the individual in June. We refined it in April. But now it's time to really go out there. So you haven't seen it because we haven't really made the big, huge marketing push around it. But we tried something. It works. We know it works. And now it's time to scale it. So I encourage any listener that's ever wanted to go to the NAM show Anyone that there's some people that might I don't know who these people are. I don't know why, but perhaps question is the NAM show worth it? I fly to California. It's an expensive flight. All of that. I can tell you that nobody I've never talked to a person who's left a NAM show and said it wasn't worth it. Mm. It is absolutely a life changing experience for 
anybody to attend. So if you think back to how I had set up the question about bedroom producers and how you plan to reach the younger generation, I wrestled with whether to ask the following question first before that one. But in any case, bedroom producers notwithstanding, can you give us an overview of some of the music-making trends within the music instrument slash technologies world? Yes, absolutely. The The trend that is really interesting to me right now is what I'll call is lowering the barrier to entry. And again, I'm a music technology guy, so I'm going to go here, right? You know, there's only so much innovation that happens with six strings, right? And so, and we have really amazing innovative products coming out and new types of woods. I'm not, you know, knocking guitar manufacturers at all here. But when it comes to like what trends, obviously AI, technology, apps, the way we learn music, right? There's so much technology out there that's that's being created that I think we're just in the entry stages of that allow musicians to learn music easier, quicker than ever. Mm. Now, I know that a lot of folks look at like the gamification of an app, you know, whether it's a Guitar Hero-esque approach or the the kind of laser lights down on the piano or, you know, some of the AI technology that's out there that's actually generating compositions and songs based on AI prompts, which is really at its infancy, but it's not going anywhere. There's an argument about lowering the bar, but, you know, this is, this is innovation. This is lowering the barrier to entry to get more music makers hooked on making music. Mm -hmm. And I see that trend continuing in innovation because again, we all want more customers, right, on the industry side. So we lower the barrier to entry. We allow the first taste of music making to get easier. I see all of these technologies really going there. Now, what we're focused on, what I'm focused on as an educator, is lowering the barrier to entry is great as long as the ramp up to success is also there. Mm. Because lowering the barrier to entry and then making it really difficult to go to like, oh, I can follow this app and press the buttons and make a song. Oh, but now I actually have to learn an instrument and practice and be dedicated and focused. You know, what we don't want to do is lower the barrier and create a big gap to keep going. So we really need to focus on easier and fun experiences to make music making more accessible to every music maker. But then once you got them hooked on it, give them a ramp up. Yeah, it's kind of like giving a kid a soccer ball and saying, this is all you need is just this ball, and that's great, but you do have to practice, and you do have to stay in shape, and you do have to get good at the sport just because you have a soccer ball doesn't make you a good soccer player. And folks, just so you know, I don't give the questions out to the guests every week on the show. I hope I've said that in the nine-plus years that I've been doing the show, so it's fantastic that John went where he did because I'm going to ask this next question anyways. In, in podcasting, just like a lot of other industries, we are hearing a lot, probably more questions than answers, about AI and things like ChatGPT specifically. I mentioned PodFest Multimedia Expo before, and when I was at that event earlier this year, there was someone that did an entire session on ChatGPT. So, John, your own personal thoughts aside that you just shared with us, I wonder, at the member level and then even in your office, are you seeing similar conversations among the NAM membership and maybe your very own organization about how things like AI and chat GPT fit into the music industry? Absolutely. We had uh, a panel on AI and the music industry at NAM last month. We'll definitely have more in, more sessions on it in January because we know it's a hot topic. 
It is. It's a, it's a lot of what we're talking about now. And again, it's and it's it's interesting to me because this is the new innovation, right? Is is AI going to take over? What is it going to do? And one thing I did preparing for May 1st is I studied like I was doing my my master's comps all over again. There, I read there's a historical document that was put together three CEOs ago about history and AM, 300 pages of typewritten history. I read through it, studied, highlighted, and then I picked up every board meeting agenda that has ever happened, the minutes of all the notes, because NAM keeps great records. I read every agenda for the past 40 years. Mm. I really, because I felt the weight of picking up a 122-year-old baton, and I read the music trades of the key shows. So I, I really wanted to understand, like, I don't want to come in and make a mistake that someone figured out wasn't the right way 10 years ago or mm. even 100 years ago. So I mention this because when I look at AI and the conversations around what's it going to do, this is not the first, second, or even 27th time in the history of music products industry that I have ex- access to, even before that, that a technological threat has been a scary thing. Wow. It goes back to in the 20s, the, the talking machine. Oh my gosh, people can crank and put a piece of plastic on a, on a rotor and now they don't need to buy a piano. <laughs> Our world is over. The bicycle. Oh my gosh, kids can ride bicycles and go play with their friends. They're not going to stay home and learn piano lessons. <laughs> Our world is over, right? It happened time and time again. Oh my gosh, the 800, the catalog, this realtor tailor sending a catalog out and you could call and they'll ship it to you. <laughs> Our business is dead. Oh my gosh, now there's an 800 number. I don't have to mail in the catalog. Our business, is, the internet, people can order online. Our business is dead. Wait, you can learn music by an app. I can use GarageBand on an iPad 2010. I don't need to buy all this gear. Our business is dead. And guess what? Every innovation that's happened and we've said, oh, my God, our business is dead. We've actually thrived. Mm. So when I look at AI, I lean in, I think, is the representative of the collective impact of the entire global association. It's our job to jump in headfirst and really dive into these innovations to ensure that all of our members get value from it and see the value from it and that it does actually strengthen the music products industry. So I love the innovation. Let's Fantastic. bring it on and let's go for yeah, it. Yeah, great perspective, great perspective. I'm not saying anything that others are not already talking about when I acknowledge the very challenging times that we're all living in. Some will say that music can help change the world, and I'm sure you're one of them, but how so? Oh, wow. This is where I wish I did get the questions in advance. How does music <laughs> change the world? Jeez, Bruce. <laughs> Well, since we were just talking about AI and bots and technology and the, the confusion around that, it's really important to remember that humans, the human race is, you know, humans dominate this earth because we have emotion, because we feel. We have intellect and we have emotion, right? Computers can process more information quicker than we can, right? And Cheetahs can run faster, and you can go on and on and make everything else, but it's the combination of emotion and intellect. And at the end of the day, no matter what technology and how fast we're expected to move and how AI can write letters probably faster than we can, it doesn't have emotion and it doesn't have intellect. Mm -hmm. And music and humans 
just seek it. And even when we all had to stay home and hide from this very scary new disease a couple years ago, the boom in keyboard and ukulele and guitar sales and audio microphone and, and audio boxes and preamps and all of that stuff showed us that people want to make music. Humans inherently want to create sounds to make emotion. And so music is part of humanity. And I don't think it's ever going away. It, it does change the world. It's what makes us human. Should I drop in Eric Clapton under all that? Change I think so. the world. I want to be the sunlight. Okay, so somewhat similar question. How can music impact leadership? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, it's really interesting. You know, from I have a degree in education. I have a master's in educational leadership and a master's in trumpet. And if you were to ask me which piece of paper has more value into what I'm doing now, I think everything I've learned as a leader has come from being a musician. And when you learn to play music at a high level and you learn to perform and you get success in music, the way you get to that success and all the amazing musicians listen to this podcast know this already, you really learn to be a learner, right? Every musician has to get in the practice room, work, 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 refine. You learn that you have to do the same thing consistently, methodically, study, careful, over and over and over again, work on those licks, shed that one section, do it slow, work your way up, all the things we do to build technique. And then you have to listen. You have to listen to others. You have to learn. You have to hear. You have to fit your style. And you do all that individually on personal growth. And then you have to go in with an ensemble, whether it's a rock band or a small ensemble or an orchestra or a pit orchestra or whatever it is, and you have to work well with others, right? Sometimes the most technically competent musician does not make the best person in the ensemble. And so when you start thinking about, I think how music impacts leadership, being a good musician, the things that make us a good musician also make us good leaders. Nam is a band. John Malinzak's not even the front man. I don't consider myself the front man of this band. I consider ourselves like an orchestra where we're all sitting together. You know, mm -hmm. we're all sitting here playing. I'm playing, we're all playing. And it's, it's that collective sound. And again, it's kind of our industry, right? We are a membership association. We represent the collective impact. And so you think about that. You know, you think about the lessons learned I'll, for all the trumpet players listening, right? This is the teacher in me. Every trumpet player, we, we figure out, we, we do something very bad. You know, we like to play a couple clicks faster, faster and a couple cents sharper than everyone in the section. If you're playing first trumpet and you're listening, you're probably guilty of playing a couple BPMs faster and a couple cents sharper than everyone. And the reason we do it is because we really like to hear ourselves in the section because we work so hard and want to hear our sound. Mm -hmm. And the moment you learn playing lead trumpet, that if you play perfectly in tune with your section and you lay right in the pocket and you can't actually hear yourself from the collective impact of the section, that's when you start getting all the gigs. And so you take that lesson I learned in music and you come and you sit me here as CEO of NAM. I'm not going to play faster or sharper. I'm here to represent NAM. And so you settle in and you work to build up the whole section. And NAM goes out and does good in the world. Mm, nicely said. Nicely said. So as we wrap up, let's lighten things up a little bit. In the intro, I said that you're calling in from Southern California. 
yet, unless you're going to tell me, well, we need to get that updated, Bruce, because that's not the case anymore. I mentioned that you currently play first trumpet in the Met Wins in Boston. Are you flying back and forth every weekend to do that once a month? And then similarly, is there a trumpet in your office at NAMM? No, well, sadly, uh, sadly, my Met Win, you know, career, I love that ensemble. It was a fantastic group, but um, I, I had to put in my resignation because I um, am now move. I'm in Southern California now, and so I'm in the process of moving. And that is, uh, yeah, it's one of those moments I, I really love those people. My wife played in the ensemble. She served on the board. It was a really great wow. community. So we're looking for our community in Southern California as, as musicians. And um, it's funny, actually, we, we're figuring out moving. I'm flying home tonight on the red eye, and I've already made the plan to come back. I'm like, okay, I'm going to check a bag so I can fly with my horns and finally get my <laughs> horns out to Southern California. So every we have so many instruments. We have so many. I mean, I went through a banjo phase. We have guitars. I have all sorts of trumpets. Wow. I plays clarinets and saxophones. We have this plan now because we don't trust movers with our instruments like you uh, don't want to move uh. them every time one of us flies from boston to california we're, we're carrying on another <laughs> set of instruments that's so we're actually that's that's the strategy and we have figured out how many flights and how many instruments we're going to move over <laughs> that way thanks delta <laughs> that's way too long of a drive for those of you in the audience who are saying well why doesn't he just drive him out there boston to anaheim i don't think so uh so <laughs> is there a trumpet in your office at nam there is not, and I'm so sad, but don't tell anyone. There is a trumpet downstairs, and I do pick it up and play it in the evenings <laughs> when no one's around, but I do sanitize the mouthpiece, so I hope no one at NAMM's listening. The, the, the <laughs> night security guard appreciates when you do, I'm sure. John, wonderful to have you on the show. Congratulations on the new position, and we look forward to seeing what lies ahead with you and NAMM. I really appreciate you making time to be on Now Hear This Entertainment. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Bruce. You bet. You bet. With that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to NAM President and CEO John Malinzak. Again, do visit their official website at nam.org. As I mentioned earlier, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Visit their website for information about the organization and all that they're doing, as well as the show that will take place in January at the Anaheim Convention Center. A reminder that on their website, you will also find links to engage with NAM on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Plus, as I mentioned earlier, you can even find them and John on LinkedIn. Do let them know that you heard John on Now Hear This Entertainment. I do truly hope that you like this show, that you're enjoying what I'm doing every week on the Now Hear This Entertainment podcast. If you've made it all the way to the end, thank you for having stuck with John and I. And I'm going to assume that that means that you do like the podcast. You can take action to let me know that you appreciate the work that I do to keep making this show happen every week, every month, more than nine years without missing once by going on my podcast website, nhte.net, and then using the yellow Buy Me a Coffee logo that you will see there. This is not a sponsor. It's not affiliated with any brand or chain. It's just a fun way for you to send your support, your thanks to me, including a note that I will see when you utilize that option you can also just head directly to buymeacoffee.com slash Bruce W. That's going to do it for episode 485. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment.